of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 369. Jason Lingren is with me and Clive DeCarl is back. Um, after this episode, Clive will have been a guest more than anyone else with one who has been equally a number of times, and that was Kurt Kallenbach, who brought such critical ideas. We've had Clive here a lot of times because he helps a lot of people and his products are top quality. I use them every day and I use a lot of them every day. I use magnesium. I use zinc. I use fulvic acid or fulvic minerals. I use iodine. I use selenium, which I count as key. And my mother gets it daily, which I count as key. And we're going to cover some other things here today. Uh, Before we jump in, Clive has 10 high quality old school refurbished Tesla devices. If you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, you need to send an email to Clive and uh, there will be contact information during the course of this. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. All right, let's just jump in here. Welcome, Clive. Thank you very much, Crow and Jason. Fantastic to be with you again. Thank you. Do you want to add anything about the Tesla devices? Well, my email address for this is tesla at clivedecarl.com. And really what I'm looking for are people who perhaps are already professionals in the health world, or perhaps they need a new profession and, 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 and want to become, uh, well, want to go into the, the health world. Uh, basically, I want these units to be used by people who are actually going to really use them ideally on, on lots of people because, uh, you know, I did a talk in, here in England about a month ago and uh, afterwards various people came uh, in pain about, 40 people maybe in a row all, all, all afternoon and uh, all of them got benefit it wasn't that you know nobody got benefit every single person got benefit some came out of pain completely uh, others partially and some have been in pain for for a long time like like years so uh, i'm so interested in these old technologies because so much knowledge as, as we all know has been lost and uh, but some of the physical devices uh, still exist. And uh, the problem is not finding some of these old machines, but finding anybody who knows how to repair them properly. Um, but luckily, I, I've been interested in, in this subject uh, for a very long time. And I've, um, as I said, been lucky enough uh, to uh, have these restored items, which are historical, fantastic pieces and totally functional. You know, they were built last in the beginning and they're still doing well now they're fully restored well jason and i both have one um their quality they are tech that boggles the mind how it fell by the wayside i have seen old clips where barbershops all had them i mean they they were apparently widespread use at the early 1900s or something like that and to underscore uh how hard it is to find people that can repair these um, you know, the old uh, neon lights, it's akin to that tech, you know, how you put gas in glass and you skillfully put it together more so with the Tesla devices, but there are a precious few, apparently people dealing with those old signs and keeping that tech alive. That's getting scarcer and scarcer all the time, but uh, let's jump in here. You we're, we're going to come off the cuff a little bit here, Clive. But um, you were talking about Pegasus technology, and you apparently had some past involvement. I'm not familiar with it all. Can we jump in there? Yes. In the late 90s, I got involved uh, with a lie detector company, 
and it was Israeli technology. And what had happened was the inventor had been walked, had seen a, a cafe bombing and a woman with a dead baby in her arms. And he decided right there and then that he could make a device that, uh, a voice analysis device where you could ask one question, are, are you a dangerous terrorist? That was his motivation. It just so happened his dad was the head of the mathematics department in Tel Aviv University. And within a relatively short time, they devised some software that would work on the telephone covertly that would analyze your voice. And they got it down to maybe about 10 things it could analyze. It could tell whether you were lying or not, but it could tell whether you were uncertain. It, it could tell various things from the inflections in your voice. And it took some skill to use it. Uh, it wasn't just bam, and there it is. You, you, you actually have to be trained to interpret the waveforms. But how it basically worked is you'd ask a series of test questions, you might say, and you'd calibrate the truth with, with that person. And then you start uh, uh, asking them questions you really wanted the answers to. And a trained operative could do very well with this technology. For instance, our biggest uh, client uh, in the end uh, was insurance companies because uh, the you know, so there was so much fraud in the insurance industry. And, and actually, that, that quite annoyed me, uh, the fact that everybody was forced to pay way over the odds for their insurance because of all the fraud going on. So um, those companies started buying our technology and using it on over the phone. And we, we developed also a script to go with it. And within usually about four minutes of using the script and using the device, uh, you could catch out all the fraudsters really all of them. And so, of course, there were a lot of agencies out there who were interested in, the, in this, a lot of police were interested in it, a lot of governments were interested in it. And here in England, some, oh, must be at least 15 years ago, more, no, probably 20 years ago now, there were headlines in the newspapers saying that uh, lie detector equipment was going to be used uh, to combat uh, uh, a fraud, a benefit fraud. And... Um, so we had lots of people, banks, all sorts, you know, agency, all sorts of people approaching us. And um, we learned then that, you know, about the echelon system that uh, GCHQ had in England, you know, listening to, to everything, recording everything. And so we, we realized very early on uh, the depth of the totalitarian surveillance that was going on, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, so at one point I was working with a, a very wealthy gentleman, a medical doctor, and we uh, flew to meet the lawyer of the Israeli company to buy the company. And uh, turned out that the lawyer that they'd sent was also the lawyer for Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, to cut, anyway, I won't go into that story, but we we got fleeced, basically. Anyway, um, the technology then was so powerful that you can imagine what the Pegasus technology is like today. This, what I was working with wasn't Pegasus, but uh, quite possibly it, it spawned it. And, you know, they, they know everything that you've ever done and quite a lot of what you thought. I can tell you one very interesting story that happened at that, that time because, um, uh, you know, the reason I got involved with the light sector technology was you could hold it to a speech you know, let's say some war criminal like Tony Blair or somebody, 
and you could tell which words they were lying on. So I, that was my whole purpose of getting involved with it. I wanted to unmask the reality of what people were saying and what they really meant. And I rang up John Pilger, who's one of the most famous investigative journalists in England, and I said, look, I've got this incredible technology. Isn't it fantastic? And he said, well, don't be ridiculous. They're, they're talking, therefore they're lying. Why do you want to know which word? There you go. <laughs> so 100% accuracy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a monitor that lets me know instantly their lips are moving. Yes, well, exactly. So, but at that time, of course, because I was working with this Israeli company, they assumed that I had Israeli sympathies. So they tried to woo me in various ways. I remember one day getting taken out to the RAF club, you know, the Air Force club in, in Piccadilly by sort of the top gun of Israel, who explained to me their, their technology right then in, in his department, which, well, he said, look, if, 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 there's, if there's somebody reading a document that we want to know what they're reading, and they happen to be on the top floor of their house, and they, you know, out in the, the Middle East, there's not a lot of insulation, just a layer of tiles. He said, well, the technology we've got, uh, uh, we can read right through a layer of tiles and read exactly what they're reading. So I'm guessing that the main point that you brought this up, and I have quite a bit to add on this, is that people really have no idea um, the invest invasive technologies. It's all quite scary. And as you were telling your tale, uh, I kept recalling, and what was that movie called? Sleeping with the Enemy. Um, but anytime, from my point of view, you see a thing named after some Greek myth, there's something going on there because they're echoing back to that supposed heroic time that they like to attach to. It's all quite scary, Clive, because it's one thing to claim you're looking for fraud, which for an insurance company is a bit laughable. Those are the biggest, the richest companies in the world. Um, but the echelon where you started, I actually have some experience with that. When I went to go get my intertech net tech degree, and that's what it was called. It was the first one they offered in the in the country. Uh, at one point, I had to write a paper, and I chose to write on Echelon. At the time, there was this big, you know, brouhaha that people were crying. Uh, you've got this thing called Echelon. There's this other thing. I think it was Carnivore. I don't remember if that was later, but people were yelling at each other. Supposedly, this is news, so we know what it is. Um, that you're, you're collecting every electronic communication in the world all the time, every day. And the response to that was, don't, don't be ridiculous. What could anyone possibly do with that much data? The truth is, it's been going on, and it's been going on well before Echelon. Uh, by the time we get to Echelon, in fact, every text, every electronic communication, every fax, every, every anything um, that was coming through, a good example might be everyone knows the supposed cables that come on uh, under the ocean and how all internet hubs at that final place, um, they're snatching it all. And not only are they snatching it all with what you're pointing out, Clive, what they can deduce from it is horrific. Uh, they can basically read the future and they can basically deduce things that haven't even happened yet. And like you said, even what might be in your mind. Well, and yes, and they've been doing it all, almost forever now. I mean, there's right. a famous story in Australia about three years ago where there are these criminals uh, in the kitchen planning a bank heist and the smart fridge overhears them and calls the police. Right. Um, this, you know, this is one of the things like in my home now, um, we've got an old refrigerator that we've had since probably the 70s. 
and it's getting on its last legs, but we don't want to replace it because we know we can't get one without computers in it. And this brings us around to why the internet of things is going to be so scary. Can everybody imagine when everything in your house, and we're coming to that point, soon you will not buy a toaster that isn't chipped up. Everything in your house will be online, whether you like it or not. And as we're pointing out with something called Pegasus, and anyone who wants to start to look into the name, simply go look up the myth of Pegasus and then try to relate it logically. Why would this data collection thing be called that? It won't take you long to begin to see through the facade of their catchy little name. And bear in mind, what what was it, Clive? I don't know if you guys had it in England. Um, There was a gas company that had the Pegasus as their logo. I just don't remember the name of it. And you see these reoccurring themes. The point I'm making is there will be nothing they don't know about you when all the stuff that you use is online and the data is collected. Um, And just to be clear, it's been going on for quite some time. Everything on your phone's getting zapped. So they already pretty much know everything. But by the time they've got your refrigerator, your toaster, and everything else that runs your house, including your electricity use, they can deduce anything they really want makes me wonder if some variation of this technology isn't being used for targeted advertisement. Well, what what was the Tom Cruise movie where they were arresting people right before they did the murder? Minority Report. Yeah, the Minority Report. That's They're poking you in the eye. And they did an extreme example because someone's saying, well, I didn't kill anyone. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're arresting you. You're going to do it tomorrow at 10 a.m. if we don't arrest you. Um, But the point is, in that movie, they even showed your eyeballs were being scanned and targeted advertising. They included the idea you just expressed in that movie. Does Pegasus go anywhere else, Clive, or were you just making a point there? Well, it's related to really the, the thing that I've been studying most recently, which is history. You know, history repeats itself unless people learn from it, as, as we all know. And I decided I'd look back at the last couple of times where the world has been conned. And I would suggest those two times, World War I and World War II, where suddenly uh, people's perceptions of the world and countries cha- changed uh, pretty much overnight. I mean, you know, in, in, in England, I, I would suggest that most people with World War I would assume that uh, Germany was the, the bad guy in the equation. Would, 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 do you think that's how people see it, generally speaking, in the States? Ah, that's a, a good question. I, I think what's what I perceive is that people are so distrustful of anything. It's almost like the idea of targeting your ire at some place like Britain or anywhere else or the Middle East, which they used to do a lot. Um, it's all just blurred into one big, we don't trust anybody. Could I spend a couple of minutes just running through the raw basics of World War One? Sure. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll let before you jump in, I'll let everyone know that I'm working on a sky clock idea that relates to exactly what Clive's about to bring up. Uh, what was going on in the sky clock when these massive events, as Clive has pointed out, the name tells you, world war, not just some of us war, they're claiming everybody war. Um, these are major events. And apparently, uh, a couple of the luminaries are in conjunctions and other things and squared. Um, and I'm going to try to cover that uh, soon. So just to let you know where Clive's about to go, there's there's absolutely evidence to show that it is cyclical. So the protagonists in World War I, primarily at the beginning, were Serbia, Germany, Belgium, England, France, Russia, and Austria. Now, 
Germany was sort of surrounded more or less by, by those guys. Now, one of the leaders of those countries was a famous peacemaker. And uh, let me read you a few things that were said, said about this guy. You know, in 1913, for instance, this is from the New York Times. Uh, now, he is acclaimed everywhere as the greatest factor for peace that our time can show. It was he who again and again, through the weight of his dominating personality, backed by the greatest military organization in the world, an organization built up by himself into the balance for peace wherever war clouds gathered in Europe. He being who? This guy who's building the biggest war machine. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you it'll make sense in a minute. So President Taft, you know, the US, said, the truth of history requires the verdict that considering the critically important part, which has been his among the nations, he has been, for the last quarter of a century, the single greatest force in the practical maintenance of peace in the world. Now, what happened, uh, well, uh, that was Kaiser Wilhelm, right? Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm hadn't been to war for England, they reckon, for a thousand years, right? Um, Germany hadn't been to war with anybody for 50 years, right? Germany was the beacon of peace. But, of course, the issue was not about peace or war, but it was about smashing a growing economy, uh, which was Germany. And, and, of course, it got smashed twice, uh, uh, as we know. And uh, so we believe – well, uh, sorry, let me go in another direction. There, there were conspirators. In, on the British side – there were three people who conspired to ensure that World War I happened because there was no reason for it. You know, uh, the, the Kaiser, his, his granny, his grandmother was, was Queen Victoria. The Kaiser loved the English. In fact, um, he, he, you know, he wore the uh, admiral's uniform uh, when he went on to US, uh, it, when he went, uh, when UK ships came, came to port. Well, wait a minute here, Clive. Isn't the British family actually German? Didn't they just rebrand to become English? Yeah, it's, it's all one family. You know, uh, uh, the Russians are, and you know, most of most of them are, are related. But absolutely, the, the the royal family of England are German. Right. So there was no enmity between Germany and England. You know, England didn't view Germans as nasty people or anything like that. It was all you know, it was all fine. But at the high levels of government, there were three conspirators. Those conspirators were Asquith, Anthony Asquith, who was the prime minister at the time, uh, somebody you'll know the name of, uh, his name was Winston Churchill, and Sir Edward Grey. And the three of them tricked Parliament. They, Edward Grey lied to Parliament. They said that there were, there, well, that they fooled everybody, include, including the Kaiser. And it was almost exactly the same as Tony Blair uh, and Bush, uh, with, with the second Iraq war that they rushed it through. So in the first world war, they lied to parliament. Churchill as first sea lord, uh, against all orders sent the entire English fleet up north. So, uh, the moment that happened, the Kaiser realized that, that war was going to, was inevitable. The Kaiser tried over and over and again to, to stop the war. I mean, it's not as though the war even happened in Germany or in England, it happened in France. And what, what happened was that uh, when the Kaiser realized that it was impossible, that war was unstoppable, he needed uh, to move his troops towards France. 
So he asked uh, Belgium for permission. Now, because of the lies that had been told uh, by the English, uh, various things happened, and the English said that. Um, sorry, I'm going. I'm I'm, I'm digressing from from the point of the story. Really, people kept diaries at that point. A lot of people kept diaries, and um, uh, one of the people who kept diaries was the wife of Anthony Asquith, the Prime Minister of England. And this is what she wrote. Churchill was the only minister to feel any sense of exaltation at the course of events. This is war being declared. Churchill uh, said to his wife Clementine, My darling, one and beautiful, everything tends towards catastrophe and collapse. I am interested, geared up and happy. Is it not horrible to be built like that? Why would I not be out, out? Why, I would not be out of this glorious, delicious war for anything the world could give me. That's Margot Aspis' diary. And he's viewed as a hero. Well, you know, I, I think so many of us that know how to look backwards. And by the way, what you just described, it, it's World War II. Is, it's, you know what it's like? It's going to the damn Star Wars movies where they blow up the Death Star over and over and over. That's World War I and World War II. I think most of us have it in our mind that World War I kicks off because of an assassination. But the same story you were telling about uh, the economy, that story is really all that matters to me in World War II. You can get caught up in all the minutiae and bring up all the topics that are going to cause trouble. But the truth is there was no central bank before World War II. After World War II, there's a central bank. So the idea is that I think you're getting at is this is all game strategy, game theory. It is indeed. And because history repeats itself, we need to be aware that very few people can tell a few lies and the entire world gets taken by it, you know, as in what, what's happening right now. I see in the world, however, that people are beginning to wake up because their friends, relatives, or they have got sick. There's an awful lot of that going around, it seems. You know, what's a bit astounding to me was how easily people who were making a livelihood running a business were conned into damaging their own livelihood, um, all based on fear, by the way. And I think that's wearing a little thin. And I think it wore thin at times where the news refused to let it be covered, where people were saying, hey, uh, I've got a business to run here, knock it off. Uh, we saw it in Providence with bars. They finally started pushing back a little um, but it never made the news. And so I began to wonder, are people so far gone that they will destroy their own livelihood based on what we've been told? And for some people, I think it's absolutely true. I think we've witnessed that they did exactly that. But as you point out, I think people are coming around slowly but surely. But as you also point out, we're in a cycle and this cycle's touching all of us, everybody. Very few people will not be affected. Uh, even, maybe even this time, the Bushmen of the Kalahari will have to deal with what's going on. Hard to know. But um, these cycles are real. And what's astonishing to me, Clive, is think about what we're saying. So in the early 1900s, we had a world war. Then halfway through the 1900s, we had a world war. 
Then before we got out of the 1900s, we had Iraq and all these other things, Vietnam. Um, actually, from the time of Vietnam up to the first invasion of Iraq, everyone had war was so far from everyone's minds that when they put it on the table again, everyone waved their flags and said, yeah, we're tough. Let's go do this. But when you go back and look at a century and how much time there was not conflict in some way, it's this cycle is increasing, isn't it? Um, the little things will fill up the gaps now. Yes, of course, there were always an awful lot of minor wars in between. I mean, right. Pretty constant. You know, obviously, they've got to feed the armaments machine. Um, I'd like to read you one more quote, see what you think of this one. This is from 1925. You know, there, there's a, a fairly famous uh, person in the world who was a huge Anglophile. Uh, and this, this is what he said, what should have, what the Kaiser should have done. He said, no sacrifice should have been too great for winning England's willingness. We should have renounced colonies, renounced sea power, and spared English industry our competition. Only an absolutely clear orient orientation could lead to such a great renunciation of world trade and colonies, renunciation of the German war fleet, concentration of all the state's instruments of power on the land army. The result, to be sure, would have been momentary limitation, but a great and mighty future. So do you know who would have said that? I, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's not Churchill, by the way, who I suspect is directly related to the Barrymores, but who was it? So uh, I'll leave people to guess for a bit who, uh, who's, who said that. It's a bit much to accept, Clive, because uh, I'm, of a, I'm of a mind now that the sky clock people have followed and never lost the possibilities and what might be happening now can be leveraged. I don't, I, I guess I don't accept there's, you know, anyone couldn't have got out of this. Um, and, and look at how it starts with a supposed assassination, which is like JFK or any other one. Um, it's almost like when evil people want something done, they just keep doing atrocious things till they get the train on the track. Well, quite. There's an interesting little paragraph going on in the world right now, which most people I think probably don't know about. The second biggest provider of phosphates, which are essential to modern agriculture, modern you know chemical agriculture, is China. One of the second biggest reserves is Syria. The country with the largest reserves of phosphate in the world, they've got 70% of all the phosphates in the world, uh, you might want to have a guess in your mind, uh, is Morocco. Wow. Morocco is massively strategic. So China have banned their phosphate exports. Uh, after that comes um, Algeria. So, you know, where would be the next targets that America might want to go and send their troops for a holiday? I wonder. <laughs> you mean bring freedom? Yeah, according to Humphrey Bogart, Morocco's on the table, isn't it? Yes. These are also big tells, and I made that offhand comment about the Barrymores and Churchill for a good reason. With the eyes we have now, if you go back and look at American cinema, and to some degree Japanese cinema, because it's almost like they're the biggest enemies in the world, and yet they're completely in bed with each other, um, and always have been. But if you look at America cinema, as we lead into during the course of and immediately following the Second World War, and you miss what that cinema is there for, I don't know what to tell you. And it tells you the complete marriage of media at that level and the plans to change the world 
that are underfoot when a thing like a world war or a COVID comes along. And I say comes along with my tongue and my cheek, but let's start, unless you have something more to add, let's start shifting. I think people see you come. A lot of people tune in for the healthful ideas um, because you contribute so much. Do you have anything else to add to these ideas or can we move into some healthful ideas? Yeah, no, let's move into some health. Absolutely. All right. The first thing that you handed me was the idea of being able to deal with what I believe is called MRSA. And I've had family members that were told they had this. It's pretty horrible. I guess I would call it an infection uh, where the skin almost looks like it's being eaten away. I've seen examples of this. It was really prevalent in the early 2000s. I knew so many people who had it, but you've got something in your quiver of natural products that can deal with this. Well, the first time I saw it reversed must have been 15 or so years ago when um, I met this woman, must have been in her mid-30s, had five children and a Labrador and couldn't look after them because for three years she'd had MRSA and the doctors had given her every drug they they knew how to and it was just getting worse. And uh, when she came to me, she said uh, that she she thought she got it in her eyes and you don't want a flesh-eating disease in your eyes. You know, you really don't. So uh, at that point, I recommended sort of just the general things I recommend everybody because everybody's low on magnesium and iodine and vitamin C, one or two things. But I also gave her some colloidal silver uh, to drink every day. And she rings me up six days later and she said it's 95% gone. And she happened to have a doctor's hospital appointment about three weeks later when they confirmed it had completely gone. But the particular material I was referring to is a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis, like subtle bacteria, uh, Bacillus subtilis. And um, it will knock out various things, Streptococcus aureus, all sorts of different things, which, what are we? You know, we, we are whatever, it might be 100 trillion human cells, but we're outnumbered 10 to 1 by bacteria. And then if we look at the DNA in our body, we're outnumbered something like a hundred or a thousand times by bacteria. So every time somebody, a doctor, gives a drug to somebody, the chances are it will damage those friendly bacteria, which really is really is us. You know, we rely on that bacteria to help us digest food, and you know they they essentially are the majority of our whole immune system. And most people have got. Uh, damaged bacteria in the gut, uh, quite possibly born like it because their mother had been given antibiotic, for instance, uh, before birth, and so the mother couldn't pass on the healthy stuff when the child was born. Now, so you know, clearly people have knowledge of probiotics, and a lot of people would think of probiotics as you know, unpasteurized uh, dairy, for instance, yogurt, and, and so on. But while all those sort of cow-based probiotic materials are great. What we really want is to rebuild our own bacteria. And uh, if we are going to add bacteria, doing it from a cow or whatever is fine. But actually what we really want is soil bacteria, spore bacteria that uh, is on on fresh uh, vegetables that haven't been sprayed with chemicals. That's the sort of bacteria we, we, we really want. And bacteria like Bacillus subtilis, is one of the key uh, 
strains that seems to be like this one size fits all mag magic bullet. There, there are others. Uh, one of the great examples uh, is the Volvo factory where they offered their, their workers uh, a, uh, like a free drink if they'd take one probiotic tablet a day. And the people who took uh, the one probiotic tablet a day absolutely decimated. You know, the, the, uh, the illness rate in the Volvo factory was, was all, I can't remember the number, but you know, drastically reduced, drastic, drastic, with one probiotic. So it sort of strengthens the whole gut. So it enables you to digest the food that you're eating properly, fully, and gets it, rather than just going down that big tube right down the center of you and straight out, getting it to a stage where it can be assimilated into the cells. And um, uh, it strengthens you, basically. Um, it, it's a, a super interesting um, material. Then there's another one that fits the bill really well, which uh, are digestive enzymes. Now, uh, as we get older, clearly we're not digesting food the way we did when we were 16. And as people get older, they tend to sort of fade away a bit and get thinner and, and wasted. And part of that is their system is tired and it's hard for them to get the goodness out of the food. So if you're, say, over 50, for example, putting a number at random, it may be that if you were to help your digestive system out by taking uh, a capsule of digestive enzymes you know, with each meal, for example, you might find suddenly that any bloating that you might have had or difficulty digesting certain foods might just disappear. I mean, for instance, there's so many people, particularly in the United States, who the doctors have mistakenly guided them to have their gallbladder removed when the problem could have been simply fixed, probably by eating more fat. People have gallbladder problems when they don't eat enough fat. They're eating a low-fat diet, so their, their gallbladder gets uh, sludgy and blocked up because you know, if they were eating lots of fat, as our ancestors did, you know, fatty meat, fatty fish, lots of cheese or whatever, our gallbladder would be pumping away and everything would be fine. But the low-fat diet has really caused a lot of people gallbladder problems, and the doctors just cut it out. You know, if in doubt, cut it out. And they don't tell the poor patients, look, you should be taking, well, in the old days, they would have said, look, we've had to take your, your gallbladder out. Here's some ox bile, you know, because bile is, is, is what gallbladders make. Here's some ox bile in the form of dry tablets or something. Just take one of these each time you eat fatty food and you'll be all right. But that medical knowledge has been forgotten because it hasn't been taught to doctors really since the Second World War. So they don't know. And so, so many people who've got gallbladder, we had the gallbladder removed, are having terrible problems. Oh, I can't eat fatty food anymore. Well, you, you could if you had a digestive enzyme that was powerful enough to do the job that the ox bile did. So for a lot of people, um, you know, if they are at that stage where they think, I'm just losing my strength, no matter how, how much steak I might eat or something, digestive enzymes can be very helpful. You know, the older you are, the more useful they can be. And, you know, some of the digestive enzymes, you know, most of the digestive enzymes are made from things like pineapple, you know, papaya, all sorts of different natural materials. Called enzymes? So you could, anything fruit followed by the word enzyme? Well, as I said, there are certain uh, foods that aid digestion, you know, beetroot. There, there, there are a number of, of foods, often the acid ones, which 
pre-dissolve the food. So you can get enzymes to dissolve carbohydrates if that's your problem. You can get enzymes to dissolve proteins if if that's the, the problem you have. You know, you're not very good at digesting certain foods. You can get individual digestive enzymes to target dairy, for instance. You know, some some people want to eat dairy occasionally, whatever it might be, and so you can sort of cheat. So you know, that's digestive enzymes. Then there's you know, the, the one that I the one that I do on my website. I don't have enough money to. I, I would love to stock all of the enzymes separately, but I've just got enough to have one multiple digestive enzyme. You know, one, a one size fits all type thing. But there's another type of enzyme which is super interesting, which is proteolytic enzymes. So specifically, enzymes to break down proteins. Now, on the one hand, you can use them as I just mentioned to help eat uh, break down food you're eating. But let's say you're not eating. Let's say you take a proteolytic enzyme or a lot, quite a few of them, between meals. Then the enzymes will start breaking down the scar tissue in you. So bear in mind that at the end of life, maybe I don't know, 40% of people die from something with an osis at the end. You know, uh, osis, like fibrosis, is sclerosis, is scar tissue buildup, and scar tissue doesn't work terribly well compared to normal tissue. But proteolytic enzymes will dissolve the scar tissue, allowing your body, assuming you've got some decent nutrition, to uh, rebuild itself properly. Do you provide that, Clive? What, what are the ones that you provide? You said you had one on your shelf. Yeah, I've just got one, which is the multi-digestive enzyme. You know, it you just take it with every meal and you will digest that meal more thoroughly and get the benefit from it. But as I say, there are all sorts of separate individual enzymes you can buy. I, I wish I sold them, but I don't. If anybody wants to invest in my company, uh, they, they possibly could. But um, the, what's interesting, particularly about the proteolytic enzymes, is their uh, effect with, I'm spelling this with a K, cancer. There was a very famous New York doctor called Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who mysteriously died at a suspiciously young age, shall we say, who uh, uh, studied the, the work of earlier doctors from 120 years ago, uh, Dr. Beard, I think, being one of them, who were uh, reversing cancer with a K uh, using enzymes. Uh, you know, they would have gotten at that point, I'm sure, from just natural foods, you know, fermented or whatever it might be. Why with a K, Clive? Oh, in England, it's against the law to use the words cure and cancer if spelled with a C. Um, you know, there's the Cancer Act, you know, 1939. Uh, the government got totally bought out by the pharmaceutical industry, you might say, and they made curing cancer with a K only thing that doctors could do with what doctors do, you know, drugs, surgery, and radiation. Oh, no. uh, and they made everybody else, the homeopaths, anybody else, herbalists who was, you know, reversing cancer, they, they made that illegal. So in England, even talking about the, even talking about it. They did the same thing to Gerson, didn't they? She had all these just miraculous wellness things she could do. And she was forced to travel 20 minutes below San Diego and open up her clinic in Tijuana, Mexico. Unreal. With, and it's juice, for Christ's sake. It's, it's basically vegetable and fruit juice, mostly. Yeah, the, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA in the States, at one point uh, w were trying to class chicken soup feet as as a medicine because it was reversing arthritis. You, know, you can imagine if you boil up a whole load of chicken feet full of tendons and ligaments and bones and stuff, chicken foot soup, 
which is probably free because nobody wants the chicken, the, the chicken feet, seriously is a good uh, remedy. You know, I, I want to ask you while we were coming off enzymes, we've had people on, and actually I've heard a lot of people talking about apple pectin. I actually got some and I've been trying it. What's your view on apple pectin? Well, there are a lot of people uh, selling what they call modified uh, citrus pectin or apple pectin. And I've always wondered how, how modified it really, really is. Is it that different from just straight pectin? So uh, there, are, there are lots of detoxification um, results with pectin. It's not something I've used a lot, but um, yes, it, it's one of those things that's great for detoxification, as I understand it. Okay, we don't have much time, Clive, so I'm just going to say a thing here. We're going to talk about spike proteins, graphene oxide, and mRNA, but we have to push these things to hour two. We just have to. We get way too much attention if we don't do things like that, which is basically the main reason we have an hour two. Let's get into the things where you have on offer on shelf, and I'm going to ditch, well, uh, let's let's just do some of these. You have restoring hair color, reversing ADHD, and there's a couple other things in that bullet point. Let's address that. And let's try to keep it to things that you have on your shelf because the quality of what you provide, it's at a different level than wandering into a CVS or any of these other kind of drug stores. And I'm not even kidding you. It's night and day, the quality of the stuff Clive puts together. So let's let's address these things. Also, since we're getting into the typical cold and flu season, if there's anything you want to suggest, if especially if someone's not familiar with your products, as Crow just said, they're most excellent. We both use them all the time, as does Rose. Well, sure. The product that um, uh, you mentioned is selenium. Now, uh, you're absolutely right. The sort of drugstore type vitamins, minerals, they're just a joke. It's not even worth thinking about them, really. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody listening, yes. It's night and day, literally. There are lots of good companies, particularly in the States, uh, making fantastic quality supplements. The trouble is, how do you, how do you work out who's who? And it's, it's quite difficult. Anyway, um, uh, every month, uh, I have a secret health club meeting for, for members. And in the last one, uh, somebody came on, a 20 year old and said that, um, I, I'd suggested uh, to him that this special selenium, might be good for his ADHD. And uh, so he came on and said, uh, he didn't take the amount that I suggested. Uh, he, he just took seven drops, which was a bit less than I suggested. And within one day, his ADHD had stopped. In one day. Just like that. Is this the one that is a verbal example in your notes? That's the one from the notes. And anyway, so uh, he uh, said that. And then uh, a lady chirped in and said, well, my hair color went back to my normal color. Now, I have to preface that my hair's gray and it hasn't made mine go back. Me either. I use it every day. But but make sure you cover that you have the selenium and the dose and all that, Clive. Yes, so I, I will indeed. Then the same woman said, oh, by the way, it'll, I, I also stopped my alcohol addiction with it. And selenium has been famous from sort of 1960s, 1970s for the trials they did in New York about uh, selenium's ability to detox, detoxify drug addicts. And it allows people to detox without nearly so much of the side effects because it turns off the body's antitoxins. So somebody's taking, they're drinking a lot of booze, for instance, the body is making chemicals to compensate for that. And so if they stop, 
the body's still making those chemicals, so you feel awful. But the selenium is able to turn that off, it seems. Well, it does. I'm sorry, but we're running out of time here. We should cover. There was a time in the 70s when they literally classified selenium as a toxin, I believe. But let's talk about how much you use. This is probably one of the things where this is important. Yes. Now, the first thing to understand is this type of selenium that does this job is made from a special oil with a special oil. So you're looking for liquid selenium. So normally, one drop a day would be more than adequate. Two drops every three days would be just about perfect. But I personally just take, a, take 10 drops every now and then, every couple of weeks or so, square 10 drops straight in the mouth, tastes all right. Uh, and that's it. If you're trying to give up something, uh, you know, the, the guy with the ADHD, he took seven drops. Quite often people might take 10 drops, but just, just for a few days. This version is non-toxic, so there's nothing to fear about it. Uh, but like everything, you don't, you don't want to upset your mineral balance. You want, you want to get it right. And I've got a vi- video, my name is Selenium. Uh, it's still on YouTube, wonderfully, uh, or it's on the Secret Health Club. Uh, you you can uh, learn about it from uh, uh, a greater expert than myself on the subject, but it's a pretty pretty incredible thing, and uh, a lot of people have had their, their health turned around with it, just like uh, using sulfur, MSM, MSM sulfur, organic MSM sulfur is an incredible uh, supplement, and again with a lot of these things, you get the dose right and the quality right, people notice the difference on it in a day. It's incredible with minerals. Get it right. And oftentimes there's a noticeable difference right away. You know, I found the same thing with fulvic minerals, an incredible material, which we'll speak more about in the second part, has a, a relevance to what you mentioned earlier. Everybody really needs to appreciate the fact they're low on everything. You know, I am, you are, almost everybody. We're not getting fresh food anymore. And a lot of it is, is poisoned. We, we need to totally stop poisoning ourselves you know never buy poison food again if you can possibly find and afford an alternative so just to be clear clive has this product i don't know if jason uses i use it every day and i make certain that my mom gets it each day i take a few drops a day actually usually not not all the time but i count it as one of the things that i always want to keep up on and there's a thing in the notes you didn't touch on here that the young man you were talking about had reached 20 years old and he had verbal, his verbal skills were not complete. Oh yeah. And after using the selenium, he said the word mama for the first time at age 20. It was actually the MSM sulfur that, ah. uh, that he used. So, you know, nonverbal for 20 years, 20 stone, big guy. You know, if he, he wants something from the fridge, you're not going to be able to stop him getting it from the fridge. So he took MSM and what happened was that that morning after taking it, he cried for an hour, which was unfortunate, but it, that was unusual, crying for an hour. And after that, he cheered up, and for the first time in his 20-year life, he said, Mama. Hmm. And you, you see, what happens with sulfur, it's, it's not dissimilar to serapeptase, uh, you know, the proteolytic en- enzyme way of things. MSM sulfur, again, dissolves scar tissue. If it's high quality, it's got to be a really high quality one will dissolve scar tissue and allow the body to repair itself with regular cells. So if you mix, let's say, well, what, the reason I suggested sulfur to this family was that pretty much all autistic children and many people have, you know, regular, regular folks have 
toxic metals in the brain. And MSM or sulfur on a chemical level, you mix sulfur with a metal, you can create a metal sulfate like mercury sulfate or lead sulfate. And all the sulfates are water soluble. So the idea with uh, that, let's say, say with the child who's got brain damage, is if you can get the toxic metals out with enough sulfur, then slowly, slowly, they, sh- they should be able to repair their brain. So what are the sulfur products? You mentioned MSM. Is that something that you provide? Yeah, yeah, that's on the website. It's just organic MSM sulfur. Um, it's a byproduct of the wood industry. MSM stands for monosulfonomethane. And, you know, the, the trees are natural. Uh, you know, the good quality stuff is, you know, is, is the best one can get. And there's lots of, you know, we're very familiar with sulfur because people go to sulfur baths. There's sulfur in eggs. There's sulfur in ginger. You know, one of the properties of, of ginger and garlic and onions and so on are they're quite sulfur rich. You can smell the sulfur sometimes when you boil eggs. Hmm. That seems like a thing that I should have been trying with my mother because I'm convinced that part of what happened to my mother having what they call Alzheimer's and what they call Parkinson's, I think part of that is about heavy metal poisoning. Well, definitely. But of course, one of the interesting ones about Parkinson's is that B12, vitamin B12 deficiency can be mistaken by doctors for Parkinson's. Uh, Some people with dementia, uh, they've got a B12 deficiency. Some people with MS have got a B12 deficiency. Lots, Lots of things going on. Is B12 also the one, like people used to take some B vitamin to avoid mosquito and tick bites? Is that B12 by chance? I don't know. Boy, I I thought I was keeping up on things, Clive. Now you've mentioned two more things here that I was not aware of, as you usually do when we're in here. Um, Jason, I want to get into these other two things that we're, we're pushing on, but I'm not sure if we have enough time. No, we're at the end. But uh, B vitamins, you see them in uh, energy drinks a lot. What's uh, up with that? Well, uh, B vitamins are the energy vitamins. They, they really are. And you know, I could run through them. Anybody, anybody who's got neuropathy, tingling hands or feet, they need B1. Anybody who is depressed, uh, really seriously depressed, may, they may need B3, niacin. B6, also depression. B12 energy. Anybody who's a vegan will need B12. Anybody who's not eating, eating enough animal products will need B12. And... Uh, you know, the, the, there are other ones where you're familiar with sort of folates, you know, when doctors say you need folic acid because you're going to give birth. No, you don't. Folic acid is synthetic. What people need are folates, which is vitamin B9. Vitamin B17 is otherwise known as laetrile, which you can get from apricot kernels, which G. Edward Griffin was writing about, I think, maybe in the 70s, uh, about how it reverses cancer. All right. Well, we're coming up on it. I'll I'll just relate something that happened to me. So as people know, I've got a dog, Blix, who will be two years old. He's a Shiba Inu. He'll be two years old at the end of February. He's never been inoculated. He has his testicles and he's never taken flea or tick poisons into his body. We always refer to him as a wolf baby. Um, He's like an Olympic athlete of dogs. Um, we have to always be careful because he can run down rabbits and it's not even close. Um, if there's a rabbit in the yard and he gets out, that rabbit will be toast if we don't run over there and force him to let go of the rabbit. He's that kind of healthy and an Olympian at that level. We went all this time. He's almost two years and he never had fleas and ticks. We went on one walk. I found three t- ticks on him and I just pulled them off, got rid of them. Um, so the other night he comes in. 
and uh, lays down next to me as he does because he sleeps on the bed. Next morning, I wake up and my leg hurts. And it feels like one of those really deep pimples, you know, the kind that are way too painful to touch. Um, I'm all, what the heck? And I reach down and I realize that I have a tiny, tiny deer tick hanging off my leg and it hurts. And there's a big red ring around it. These are all the things you get told in this part of the country that now you got Lyme disease and you got to go take antibiotics like it's nobody business and some of the just harshest antibiotics. So I take the tick off and it's hurting. So I start doing all the healthy things. I have the aqua cure machine that I've been using. And by chance, David Avocado Wolf comes to visit me for the first time because he grew up exactly where I grew up and he knew my wife. And he has this little thing called a zapper. I put it on it. Um, it's a little sore right now, but since I don't accept that t- that ticks put some disease into me, I'll keep everyone abreast. But these are the things, these are why we have these shows so often, because I can't tell you how many people in this neighborhood have told me they've had Lyme disease, that they got it from a tick. And so has their dog. And invariable, the cure is some very hardcore antibiotics. I mean, these big blue pills. Um, I've forgotten the name of it, but it's hardcore. And I'm here to tell you, I got bit and my leg is still a little sore, but I feel fine. And I will keep everyone abreast of what happens. Clive, anything you'd like to add to that? Well, the World Health Organization, who you can hardly trust, but they rightly say that the biggest cause of death in the world is parasites. And they're really referring to things like malaria. And of course, malaria is easily reversed with chlorine dioxide. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's funny you should mention that. I bumped into what a non-deal malaria should be in some of the things I was researching. But I think we're there. So in hour two... If you pay attention to what I'm about to say, you'll understand where we're going and why we're pushing it into hour two. We're going to talk about spike proteins, graphene oxide, mRNA, maybe hand tremors, neuropathic pain. There's some things about bowel that he has in his notes. And I think it's always critical to cover this because I I meet way more people who don't go to the bathroom right than do. And it seems like a funny thing to come up in, in conversation. But I've learned that if you're not going number two as you should, there is a myriad of bad things that pile on over time. So it's an important thing to get right. Anyhow, that brings the first hour of episode 369 to a close. Um, Join us over at crow777radio.com. Members have access to the second hour. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Bar none, Clive provides some of the best products, and there is a link under above Below the audio player, above the episode image, there's little tiny 100 pixel by 150 pixel images. The reason I'm saying this, people on cell phones got to look because it stacks it all down. So you're looking for the tiny images. We're up to about, I don't know, 10 of them. Clive is one of those links, and you can link over to so many of the things. Also, if you have questions, ask in comments. So many of the people have been using this products, they can steer you, um, and they're all quality. Everything I have gotten from Clive is, in my view, top shelf. Anyhow, that's it for the first hour of episode 369, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
a beast of knowing. 